theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Bruchim Haboyim, B'Shem Hashem, Berachnuchim Ebeis Hashem. Tzadik Tess, Amud Aleph, Tzadik Tess, Column 1, or page 197, on top it says, Bracha, middle of the Maimer, Mizmer Shir Chanukah Sabayis Ludovit. So, after the Balatanya contributed some space to explaining Mamali Kalalman, and then to explaining Soiviv Kalalman, in the previous class yesterday, Monday, he introduced that when you speak about Seva of Kalalman itself, which is called Keser, you have to understand that in Keser itself, there is what we call Arich, Arich Ampin, Aleph Aleph, Aleph Aleph is Arich Ampin, or sometimes it's just called Arich, which is just an abbreviation, and what we call Atik. And the difference is, both are Keser, in other words, it's not Mamala Kalaman, we're talking about Seva of Kalaman, which is why it's called the Keser, which is, so to speak, above the body, above the head, the crown of the king. But Keser is the interface between absolute infinity, undefined infinity, and divine structure, also known as Atsilas or Spheris. And therefore, like every Mamutza, like every... Uh, intermediary, every interface, it must include both dimensions. If not, it can't serve as a bridge. It can't serve as a connector. It can't serve as an interface. That's what the Yitzchayim says, that every mamutza must encompass both sides, so to speak, both sides of the bridge in order to be able to connect them. And that's why we speak in Keser. In Keser we speak about Arich and Atik. Arich is, so to speak, the lower dimension of Keser, as he calls it, Rosh Verishon Lene'et Salim. It's Keser as Seiv of Kalalman, as the source of the spheres, that which encompasses all of them. That's Arich of Keser. And Atik of Keser is the deeper dimension. He calls it Pchina Tachtoyne Shebema'atzil which means the lowest dimension of the matzil, of the source, of the infinite source, because Kesser must have both dimensions in order to be what it's supposed to be, which is creating that interface, that link, it's just a good word, interface, <laughs> that link between, Tedem as an interface, uh, let me say it in Hebrew. Huh? Yeah, yeah, scientists love it. So. They just, just the word itself. <laughs> it's basically, it's a, basically, it's a definition of how communication is going to happen. Right. The implementation has already implemented the, the process. Right, the, right. So the communication happens through that interface, right? And so, but, but the, so the attic is the pchina tachtoyna shabba matzel. Ah? Kach katov? Okay. Okay. Yeah, the, you're asking about Malchus, so the truth is that the Malchus of one world becomes the Kesser for the next world. It becomes the Kesser of the next world. 
It's always that way. In other words, the lowest dimension of the previous world becomes the, so to speak, the, the mother of the new world. This you don't even call makif. He calls it makif le makif, because it's even beyond being a makif. Because a makif represents, as he puts it, it's a makif, but there's a shaykhist, there's a connection. The connection is an oifen of makif. The relationship is an oifen of makif. In other words, I'm defined by the relationship. It's just the relationship is one that we call makif, not pnimi, which is a much more intense relationship, a higher relationship, more sublime relationship, relationship of Ratzin, not of Dibur, as explained earlier. But still, he's defined as a makif. When you speak about the inner core of Kesser, it's not defined as a makif, so he calls it makif, even the Gabi makif. This requires an architect. The implementations could be done by developer. The idea how it's all in channel requires an architect. There's no such thing as interface built itself. Mm. Beautiful. Some call intelligent design. No, no, he's saying the interface requires always an architect, not just a developer. Also, yeah. So he continues inside. The line starts, In that sense, the metaphor for this is like a home. Unlike a garment which also surrounds the body. It's not like food which is internalized within the body. The lavush, the garment, as he said in the beginning of the Maimer, is a makif. It surrounds the body. It's not infused, it's not internalized in the guf. But the lavush is a makif hasamuch. It's close to you. It even suits the shape of your physique, it has to suit your physique. You wear pants that are too long, and you'll trip on them. A lavush, or if too short, it won't fit. You always, a lavush has to have, it has to, it's a makif. The relationship between a garment and the body is one that we call makif, not pnimi. Unlike the food which becomes you. But nonetheless, it's samuch, it's close. Vikarev. It's in close proximity to the body. That's a levush. When it comes to a bias, a bias, a home, sometimes you can have a home that's dalar amis al dalar amis, so it's pretty close to you. But that could be. But it's not defined by it. You can also live in a huge home. You don't know what to do with this space. The point of a home is a, a small or big. It's makif rachik megufadam. It's more remote from the body of the person living there. Also surrounds them. But the surrounding, the makif, is one that is far more remote. So that's why the bias, the home, is a marshal. It's an illustration. It's an embodiment. It's the physical embodiment of a makif to a makif. Parallel, neged is parallel to these three aspects that we have been discussing. What three aspects? That is the way we define Hashem godliness as Mamali Kalam. There's something even deeper which we define as Saiv of Kalam. 
And there's something even deeper, which we won't even call soivev, but we'll call it a makif, lemakif, not arich, but atik. So parallel to these three, to these three pchines, these three aspects, nishtalshalu lemata, evolve, nishtalshalu, lemata, evolve all the way down here, also three dimensions in life. Mazen, food, levushim, garments, and hechalos, hechalos means homes, chambers, place where, like a hechal, a hechal is a place, like in the Beis Hamitr, it was a place called a hechal, hechal literally means, it's koilal, it's a keli, it's a place where you live. Huh? Dwellings, yeah, hechalos. And those are the three components that are necessary for life, for basic living, as I said in the beginning of the Maimer, there's the food that we have to eat, Nutrition is what keeps the soul connected to the body and gives us our vitality and makes sure there could be a continuous life in the organism. Any organism needs its food. And then there's the lavush, unique to the human being. Every animal has to eat. Even trees have to eat. They, they, they turn the sunlight into sugar. Every, every, every organism needs food, needs nutrition. The ant also needs to eat. And the bush has to eat. But then there's the human being also needs lavush, which is clothes to protect us from the different elements, because our bodies are own, unlike animals, which develop often the, the epidermis, the skin, the hide, in order to protect them from either a scorching heat or a thunderstorm or, or, or frostbite. We need levushim in order to cover us and protect us. And then there's the third component, which is shelter. A person needs to have a home where they live. These three components, and as he said, we see, that food relatively is cheap. Clothes are more expensive than food. And a home is far more expensive than both of them together. Why does it change from bias? Ah, hechalos. It's bias. Why he says the word hechalos? I don't know. Why he says the word hechalos, not bias. I don't know. So these three components are not stam. It's just part of life. They They are the physical manifestation of the three relationships that we have with the source of all life. We have the principle that he said earlier. Anything that is higher, comes down actually into a lower place. There's a cloud. That which is higher descends into a lower place, just like it's physical. Physical. Just like it's in the physical world. If a wall falls, so the higher stones, the stones on the top, will fall much further. Something is higher in a tree and it falls, it falls further. Whatever is higher will come down to a much lower space. So the same is true when it comes to these three components, as he will say. Mazain, what do we what do we mean? What's the connection of these three and these three? He asked the beginning of the Maimer that Lecha'ira, we see that food is cheap relatively. Clothes are more expensive, home is more expensive. You would think it should have been the other way around. Why? Food is mamish your life. You can't live without food. A person can't live without food. You must have food. And it becomes literally part of the person himself or herself. The food is digested. And digestion means that our bodies, our digestive system literally transforms. It cooks. It remakes the food 
into something that can be converted into the bloodstream of the person and feed the reserves of fat or all the aspects that the body breaks down the food and sends different parts of the food to different parts of the body based on its needs, the way the body perceives them, until the parts of the food that we call the psoilus, that the body, uh, the, the garbage, that the body has nothing to do with it, and it uh, it evacuates, it evacuates it. It, uh, it rejects it. Yeah, that's also part of it. That's part of the process as well. It's called avoidus habirurim, as he puts it. To, to, to separate the oichel from the psoilus, and in psoilus itself, there's different levels. There's that which the body will still can hold on to, and then there's that which the body literally finds useless, but it's unbelievable how the body identifies every last aspect of the food that it could still use, and finally, when it sees literally no value, it lifts up its hands and it says, Raboisai, Atkan, the rest of the garbage gotta go somewhere else. It's a very big lesson, uh, lesson in life. You can learn from your body a lot. How you have to deal with it. So, since that mamish becomes part of the person and he can't live without it. So you would think that that should be the most expensive thing. Because it's the most necessary, it's the most vital. Versus garments, which obviously we need them, but they don't give us life. They're makif, they, they protect us, they surround us. Furthermore, a lavush, at least, is on your body. The house is more external. And yet the house is more expensive than everything. So, you'll answer very simply, I mean which he says in the Mimer, that you can't compare. <coughs> you can't compare. Because a meal is once a day or twice a day or three times a day. A lavush can last, as he puts it, for a year or, or more. And a bias can last a lifetime. So it's not an investment for a day or for a few hours. It's an investment of a lifetime. That's true. In other words, if the mazain wouldn't have to be replenished, if you can eat once in your life, and that would do the trick. It would probably be expensive, the meal. And if you put on one garment, and that's it, you stay with it for 60 years, no. And a home, that's what a home is. A home, you could live in a home for five years, you could live in 10 years. Some people live in the same home literally their whole life. Certainly for many years. Many, many years. That's what it's made for. So the endurance level is much more. You're buying, well, you, don't, you don't buy a house three times a day. <laughs> if you could, but... You're in a good shape, you're in good shape. And obviously you can add more. It has to do also with the basic economic structure of supply and demand. A house is large. A house needs a lot of materials, which are not so easy to obtain. It needs architects and contractors. There's, there's obviously an avoider that's needed. Garment also, garments also. You need the supply of the materials, the fabrics that you're going to get for the garments. It has to be made. It requires man work and power and design and labor and so forth. So that also contributes to it. Food, obviously, also you need the materials. And you need a farmer and you need a harvester and you need a processor and a developer. But in terms of its size and in terms of the amount of people needed and in terms of what types of materials are needed, that also contributes, obviously, to the price. These are all the facts on the ground of how civilization and society develops. What the Balatanya is trying to understand is that design itself was orchestrated by the source. Life is not random. The world is not a mistake. 
Why was a taka created in such a way that mazoin is consumed and gone, and a few hours later you're hungry again? Some people, a few minutes later, you're hungry again, and you have to eat again. And levushim endure more, and a bias endures more. So that's where he started to explain that the shayrish, you have to always go back to the root of the tree. You want to understand the tree, you have to study the roots of the tree. You want to understand, understand the world, you have to study the roots. You have to understand the shayrish. Always go back to the shayrish. Because the roots is where it all begins. The roots are the progenitors. When you don't go to the roots... You're looking at the symptoms. You're not looking at the source. It's like in medicine, you look at the external dimension of the body without examining the shayrish of it, the root. And the deeper you go back into the roots, the more clarity, and most importantly, the more healing, because you're dealing with things on a root level, on a base level. When you deal with it on a basic level, that's where real change can happen. The more external treatments are also the more temporary treatments and the less authentic treatments. The same is true with all of life, right? When somebody has an emotional challenge or an emotional struggle, you can sometimes just identify the struggle as is from a very external point of view. And sometimes that helps. When I was in camp, there was a a camp mother. So any illness that any child had, she always said, here is a lassinger, and you'll feel better. Yeah. But my foot hurts. You know what a lassinger is? A candy. She had lassingers, infinite. Yeah, but but my foot is bleeding. Here is a lassinger, and you'll feel better. Okay. Today it's Tylenol. But the point is, you can treat something, right? And and sometimes there'll be a temporary solution. But if you go to the shayrish... When you go to the root, there's an expression in Tanya, Ein hadinim nimtakim Right, the sweet it's come it comes from already earlier Makabalam. All the hamtakas hadinim, the sweetness of dinim is always when you go back to the shayrish. When you go back to the source, that's where you'll find all the dysfunctions, all the the little little movements that created it. Right, a lot of our uh, emotional experiences in life are really based on little tiny dynamics that happened years ago, but we're not conscious of them. When you can go back there, so then when you go to the Shoirish, first of all, you see it clearly, and over there, you see it from the holistic perspective. You see the whole picture. So you can deal with it in a much more powerful way. So the same is true with everything in life. That's why he says, if you want to understand these things, you have to go back to the Shoirish of it. And the Shoirish of it is Gar Gar Lamaila very, very high, very deep. And that's what he starts saying, that these three things you have in Olam, and you have Shana, and you have Nefesh, and you have in the world, and you have in Torah, and you have in Mitzvahs, and that's how he started it. There's Mamala Kalalman, which is Kayach HaPayel Benifel. Then there's Seiv of Kalalman, which is Makif. And now we learn that there's Atik, there's Seiv of Lis, Seiv of Makif Lamakif. And that's why you have three things in this world. Mazoin, Levushim, and Bayis, all staples of life. They're not just trivial things. They are the essential components that a person requires in order to be able to live a functional, not just a functional, to be able to live a life. So he starts explaining. In general, we've had this idea of color, you know, for no color, etc., things which are mishtal shell. Mishtal shell from other things. Higher animals, mishtal shell, lower animals. Here he's talking about mishtal shell from God himself. Sovev, makiv, Yeah, and echaname. God being mishtal well, I wouldn't say God, divine energy, let's call it divine energy, the chios of Hashem, the, the, the life force, the vitality, divine energy. 
Isn't it? Isn't it the opposite? This is all about man. He just defines three interfaces for man. So he defined man to live, he needs to eat food. To interact with others, man to man, he needs clothes. Mm-hmm. And uh, to interact with men in society, he needs vice. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you still interact with people. Yes, you do. Well, there's the element of clothes that sneers, you mean. That too, yeah. He, he, huh? And protection. Cold or even, yeah. It also protects from heat. Sunborn, sunburn, scorching heat, yeah. Mazain food. What is food? Food is mamish, the physical manifestation of mamalikalalman. The best marshal from a Malikal Alman is Mazan. Because what is Mazan? The whole Indian of Mazan is, it becomes you. It's not anymore two separate things. You don't walk around with food in your system. Once the body does its work, the food literally became part of you. You can't recognize anymore, oh, that's the potato in my system, that's the vegetable, that's the cucumber, that's the fruit. Sometimes if you eat real garbage, you can identify it in the system. Because it remains distinct and separate. But true mazain, it becomes a chiyus pnimi, meaning it's completely internalized. It becomes the definition of the person's bloodstream, the definition of their life. So this is a manifestation of gvanin, And that's why there is such diversity in foods. This is fascinating. There's such diversity in foods. Every food has its own unique flavor, its own unique time, its own unique taste. We're not always sensitive to this diversity. I mean, we all know generally that a peach doesn't taste like a kiwi and watermelon doesn't taste like cantaloupe and an apple doesn't taste like an orange. But the diversity is an incredible thing. Because what does the, what are the materials, what are the nutrients that it has? You take a seed. So there's a seed, there's soil, there's water, air, and sunlight. <laughs> And somehow that combination creates such an endless, well not endless, but such an enormous diversity of different types of flavors and tastes that suit different taste buds. And he says, and so many different colors. There's bitter and there's masak, sweet, chuli, etc., etc. How bitter and how sweet and the, the interface between bitter and sweet, chuli. The details of food are huge. How divisible they are. How much diversity there is. How much differentiation is. Every food has its individual personality. We know just in the world of grapes, right? How many types of wines there are. I mean, wine connoisseurs could sit 30, 40 years and explain to you Explain to you literally how this little slight change of the atmosphere in the room creates a different experience of wine. I'm not a maven, but sometimes when I sit with wine connoisseurs, they, uh, huh? That's what they sound like. Yeah. That's what they sound like. And that's just one grape. That's one food. That's one food. But in every food, you have all this diversity, both in terms of colors and in terms of taste and in terms of types, meaning the materials of it, the nutrients of it. And it's, it's fascinating. It's all God's world. 
Marabu Masachaya. So the diversity of foods don't cause differences in people. Oh, they do. Of course they do. Of course they do. Yeah, speak. We have a PhD in nutrition. Ask him. Do the different types of food affect people differently? Of course. Taste, color, design, of course, nutrients. The person that changes the food into himself. Some foods don't say are good for you. Some food, the Rambam has an expression in his days that some foods are poison for you. And certain bodies respond different ways. Ah. You want to give us a seminar a little bit? You want to give us the basic? What do you learn in 10 years? Give us enough paragraph. <laughs> The molecule of food is, is the kali is changing it into itself. It's not, you know, there's two different people eating the same the same food and they'll process it different ways, or or eat different food. Or if one person yeah. eats different foods, he can process it the same way. It's not specifically based on which chayas is being given. Unless no, no, every muzzin has a specific impact and influence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see people in the morning, they can eat cake, a whole cake. Some of us eat one piece of cake. We're in a bad mood already for the whole day. Kidneys is more responsible for the change in the earth. By the mouth different earth causes different. But here also, the oil the is different. That's what he said. The muzzin is different. You'll see. Hainu Shekol. I don't know what it means, colors. So he says, Because is always about endless diversity. Because when you speak about spheres, so the spheres are diverse, but each sphere encompasses all the others. So that creates so many different combinations because you'll have chesed and as we explained there's chesed of chesed and there's gvura of gvura but there's also gvura of chesed and chesed of gvura and so on and so forth. So the ten are not just ten. Right? The ten become a hundred because each of the ten has ten and those ten become a thousand because you'll have gvura shebechesed shebechesed <laughs> and so on and so forth. It's endless. And therefore, you have so much diversity in creation. Because the divine energy of Mamalik it starts off with Asara Mamaris. But there's not only ten things that exist in the world. Asara Mamaris are generic, they're general. But then you have the letters of the Asara Mamaris develop in so many different ways to create every nuance, detail, that exists in all of the cosmos and the entire existence, physically, and then in the spiritual worlds as well. And this is the reason that that the in food gets consumed. Kiloyan means it, uh, it seizes, it gets consumed, it gets subsumed in the body. And kiloyan, it ends. It's a certain amount of gas and fuel that allows the engine to run. But at some point, you use up, it gets depleted. You use up and now you need more energy. And we know that the human body, the, the, the body takes the energy of the food, allocates it to those parts that need different parts of energy. I mean, the brain itself consumes an enormous amount of the energy. And then there's the other parts of the body that need energy. 
And what happens now? The gas is finished. You have to replenish it. It got depleted. What's the reason for this? Because it's Because since it's a type of air, that's a pnimi, it becomes internalized, manifested, and limited within the vessel. So therefore, the vessel contains it. The vessel uses it. It becomes completely one with it. That's why down here, That's why food is a type of thing that becomes completely unified with the human body, with the human organism, and it becomes his internal or her internal life. Because it's spiritual. What we call the koyach of the poil, the koyach of the creator that is imprinted and constitutes the very definition and makeup and composition of the one who was created. And that's the reason. That's the reason it's cheaper. That's why it's cheaper. That's why you don't need the whole diversity of food in order to live. People like it, but you can, as the Mishnah says, you can have Pascha you can have dry bread for survival. In other words, what's important is that there is mazan. As the Mishnah says, a person can live with bread and salt. A person can also eat very many delicacies constantly. The Gemara says about Rebbe and Antoninus, Rebbe Yudanasi and Antoninus, the Roman emperor, that in winter and in summer, from their tables never disappeared, not radish and not lettuce, which was a unique delicacy at the time. It wasn't easy to obtain, both in the summer and in the winter. But the point is, the source of the food is the divine energy that comes into the nifl. It infuses the nifl. This type of ayr we generally call ayr hagvul. It's an ayr of finiteness because it goes into the vessel. It has to match the vessel. It has to be suitable to the vessel because what is the definition of this light? The definition of this light is the light that is grasped by the vessel and experienced as the vessel. It defines the very experience of the vessel. So it's all about the vessel, it's all about hakbal, it's all about finiteness. So the properties of mamalik halalman, the way they're manifested in a physical world, will be manifested in the properties of food. However, when you speak about garments, the source of garments from Abchinus Kesser is rooted in what we call Kesser, the crown, Rosh Lanet Salim. What we explained yesterday was Arich, the head, the beginning, the genesis, the source of the Ne'et Salim. Ne'et Salim is all the emanations, the world of Atzalus, Pchines Makiv, that energy which we don't call Pnimi, we call it Makiv. And that's why the way garments come into this world what are they express? How are they expressed? How are they manifested as makifim? They surround the person. It's not something that is converted into energy that is internalized in him. And they're extremely necessary for the person. 
even in times when you have eaten and you don't have to eat anymore. But you still will need a garment. If it's in the winter, in the cold of winter, a person cannot survive if they're in the cold of winter without a garment. It's not like the mazoin. I ate, tomorrow I'll eat again. But now I'm good, the body has it. The lavush, he says, I need more because if it's winter. I need the malbush. So the spiritual part of that? Because they're from a higher place. Yeah, they're yeah, they're more necessary. Because it's the higher place, so it's more necessary. Always. So it's more expensive because it's a much higher energy. So to speak, is a more finite energy. So in dollars and cents, it becomes cheaper. <laughs> It also has endless diversity. It also becomes consumed and depleted because it's mugbal, it's limited. And anything that's limited has to be replenished. It feeds you. The oxygen is depleted and you know it because the definition of the oil is that it's mugbal, it's finite. So all the properties of food represent the properties of malakal almond. And it's cheaper because it's, so to speak, a lower oil and you don't always need it. You, I mean, you need it often, but you don't always need it. You can have a meal and you're good to go. If you, ter- you speak in terms of survival, a person can go for a while without food. And even according to Derek Hayashi, when a person uh, has prosperity and food, I don't eat every moment. You're not supposed to eat every moment. A garment you wear a whole day. And if it's winter, you need it a whole day. You need it. You can't survive without it. It can be dangerous without it. Or it's a scorching heat and you need to protect yourself from it. In Russia, they uh, knew what winters were, like in Chicago. A winter was a winter. You need the lavush. Mazoy, if you use the mazoy every single moment, if you're eating every single moment, we know what that is. I mean, it's a horrible addiction. It's, it's the opposite of life. A lavush, you don't say, okay, I wore already a garment for an hour. Today, it's time to take off. It's time to take off the garment. So, you know, we look at it. It's just, just the way how life works. What's the connection? But the point is, everything has meaning in it. Because lavushim come from a much higher place, they're always necessary. And they're more expensive. It's more expensive because it's a higher light. And that's why physically it endures for longer. It doesn't get depleted in a few hours. Gone. Now you need a new meal. You can have the same coat, the same shirt for a year, for, for years. Because in its shirish, it's higher. Which comes from the earth that's limited by the vessels. It's not so limited in the, it's not limited by the vessel. It's makif. That's why it will not get depleted so fast. Yes, he says kol kach, not so much. Because after some time, the garments will also decompose or rot and become usable, not become usable, become torn or shreds or rags, as we see. You wear the same pair of shoes for a while. Ultimately, it could take a couple of years. There'll be a killian. But ain't like Kilian Kalkach. Why? Because what type of oil is it? It's not the oil that's mugbal that becomes limited in the vessel. It represents something that's infinite, Saif of Kalalman, and hence it doesn't see so fast. Then you have something else. Then you have button. Button. 
homes. Shem rechoikim yosem egufadam. These are even more remote from the body of the person. Not only is it not inside, it's not even on the outside of the body. It's not on the body at all. Shoresham lamayla, the shoresh of bias, who mebchina tachtoina shebematzel. The shoresh of bias is from what we called atik, the lowest dimension of the matzel, of the ein soif, which is the source beyond atzils. Livushim are rooted in what he calls keser roish l'neet solim. Bias is from the matzil, which is beyond the ne'et solem, not those who receive from atzilas, but the source, the matzil, the generator of atzilas, that's what it's rooted in. Shubchines makif de makif, is barle. This is what we call a makif, even relative to makif. And since it's so high, the way it comes down is what do you build a home from? Avonim. Stones, offer, earth, which in the hierarchy of our planet, this is called doimem. Doimem means the lifeless matter, the inorganic matter, the silent matter. Doimem from the word vayidoim. Most garments, you don't create garments from rocks and earth, let's hope not. You make levushim from tsaymeach. For example, the most common was, was pishton, which is cotton, linen, which grows, pishton. Why? Tsaymeach is organic life. It's, it's, it's produce. It's that which grows. In the hierarchy of creation, tsaymeach is above daima. But that's the point, because bias is rooted in a higher place, so it's manifested in a lower dimension, avonim and offer stone and earth. Levushim. Are not, are also rooted in a high place, but not as high as bias. It comes down, not in such a low place, in Semeach, which is higher, which is where you get Levushim from. And that's why down here too, the house is more remote from the human body, which means there's a greater distance. Even Levushim have a distance relative to food. Food goes into you. Garments don't limit themselves that way. They don't restrict themselves to become part of your inner system, but they're part of your outer system. <laughs> they're part of your external confinement. But a bias is not even part of your system. It's its own thing. It's beyond the body. Interesting. And in a way, you need them more than garments. What's pshat? A person can take off their clothes once in a while. True. We spoke, you don't eat every moment. You eat once a day, twice a day, three times a day, and that's it. You know Garments, you can wear all day, but there's a point where a person takes off a lavosh. Huh? You need it in a cold, yeah. And if you're sitting in a place where it's not so cold, right, you have a fireplace, you have an oven, whatever, you know, a person needs to go to bathe, the person takes off their lavosh, and there's other situations where a person takes off their garments, even according to halach, we have to take off your garments. etc. But when it comes to a bias, now when he means more necessary, he doesn't mean that you could, you're gonna die without it. But he means, ki e e f shalader beloi bias afrega. The homeless. Yes, yes, yes. Right, the homeless. No, you don't need to be in the house. You have to have a house. You have to have a house. That's what it fascinates. E f shalader beloi bias afrega. 
person can't live without a home even for a moment. Yeah. Even if I'm outside, a person could be outside. You could take a walk, you could take a hike, and you could be out. Uh, but you're not homeless. You have a home, and it makes a big difference. It's not like we say, "What's the difference between a person who has a home or doesn't have a home?" It's a technical thing. It's not a technical thing. The Gemara says in Yevamos, "Call me Shane Lebayis Enoi Adam." It's part of the Tzir Adam. What's the connection? Why? A person has a house. A lot of people are not home for very long times. They sit in the office a whole day and half the night. So they have a place. This person has a place to sleep, and this person has to find another place to sleep. This person sleeps in a place that they find. And this person goes home. It's not a technical thing of comfort or you have an address or you have a place that you're welcome or you have a nice place. It's about identity. It's a tzir adam. That every moment of life, you could, you could be on a plane for 30 hours, but you have a home. You have a place called home. It's 24-7. To have a place called home is essential to identity. Why does the Gemara say Yeah. What's the relationship between that? And we'll soon see. Very good question. <laughs> the Gemara says in Shabbos about yeah? He used to call his wife his home. We'll soon see what that means. But it's connected, obviously. The Maimah will discuss that later. And you can't estimate the value of a home. The house is very expensive. And it wasn't even speaking about the real estate market of today in New York. <laughs> but a house is very expensive. Even the houses in Shklov and Lyajna were expensive relative to clothes and food. By Chanukah Sabayas, yeah. Of, of a fancy home of a wealthy Jew. The Pinchas Reises. And the house lives long, it endures. Why? All the same point. It's so expensive. Its price is so high. Because spiritually it represents something that is priceless. That doesn't even have a price tag. Thank God. Well, sometimes in Manhattan it also seems that way, that it's priceless. But thank God in the physical world that can't mamish be infinite. So, so you pay for a garage a half a million dollars if it's Brooklyn. And for another house, you pay millions of dollars. But what's the point? The point is that the, the yoiker, the preciousness, is just a physical manifestation in dollars and cents of what you're dealing with. It's something the person can't live with, can't live without even for one moment, even if they're not there physically because you're outside. Because it's the makif lamakif that is always there because it's a deeper place that you can't leave even if it's not so conscious. And it's something that will not get depleted, never. I shouldn't say never, but it lives for many, it's made, it's designed to live for many, many, many years. Why? Because it's completely from the realm of infinity. So even Legabe Levushim, it's a much more deeper level of infinity that doesn't cease, doesn't get depleted, doesn't get used up. Infinity can't be depleted. Infinity doesn't have to be replenished. Finiteness. If you have a finite bank account, you have to replenish it. You get you you get used up. Infinity doesn't get used up because the shaydish is makif the makif. You, you said that houses usually are built from dim. He says avonim or offer. And clothing usually from. He says it's a meach. 
I mean, you have also clothing, obviously, from wool, fleece. Huh? What? Wool, wool, from a, from a keves, from a sheep. In today's age... That was more expensive, though. That was much more expensive. In today's age, a lot of clothing comes from synthetic material. Right, I know. You mean a higher rate? Your jacket is made from synthetic material. So you want to know if your jacket is a higher madrega? Well, first it says, The first thing they put on was leaves of a fig tree. That's the first thing they put on, which was Tzemeach. Later it says Hashem made for them kosnus oir, oir with an ayin, <laughs> which is leather, yeah, which is of course from animals. It's funny because they weren't even allowed to eat animals, but they're wearing the animals instead. Well, God made for them kosnus oir, so if He made it for them, He probably had some access to. Uh, to vegan or vegan or, <laughs> or maybe synthetic. I don't know. I don't know. I hear. Doesn't sound like he slaughtered an animal and made oil to make it. It could be it was that fabric, that material. And the Medrash says, "Betoyrasu shall Reb Meir matzu kosnus oil with an aleph." In the Sefer of Reb Meir, it said oil with an aleph, not with an ayin. Tunics of light, not of leather. The question, of course, is how could a mayor change a sefer You change one letter, it's a postal sefer Does it mean literal? Does it mean spiritual? So Balatanya explains that the mayor saw in oir oir. In oir with an ayin, he saw a light, he saw oir. But, uh, and then it's, it's, and when you have food, you have food also. We have food from tzemeach, right? But the food of Shabbos and Yom Tif, the Gemara says, ain't simchel that's from Chai. So garments usually are from Tzimeyach. Yeah. And food, Mazoin, doesn't even go down so low. Although you can eat Tzimeyach, some people eat only vegetables, but a lot of the staple foods, right, like Lechem, of course, is Tzimeyach, but if you have Basar or Dogim, fish or meat or these types of things, comes from Chai, which is higher than Tzimeyach. So, kol hagavoya biyoser, the bias, which is rooted in the highest place, comes down all the way to daimim. Levushim comes down to tzemeach, and mazon comes down to chai. Even though over there there's an interchangeable dynamic, but you don't build bottom from behemis, and you don't build bottom from. Uh, I mean, you can have wood, I guess, eitzim. You can have lumber, ah. Huh? You can have an oil, a tent, right? You're right, ah. Huh? The Gemara discusses in sukkah if you use a behemoth for a, one of the walls of the sukkah, if it's kosher. You have a behemoth and you put it in the wall of a sukkah, you need a wall of a sukkah if it's kosher or not. But that's not the derech to build a sukkah or a home with behemoths. Of course, yeah, you could. But the derech, the, the derech was, especially this Chanukah Sabayis, was a base chayma, so it was rat stones. So uh, it's more permanent. You can't compare. You can't compare a house of Avonim to a house of cheaper, different materials. It's much more permanent. Okay, we'll be mafsikar. My first year freshman year high school, Yeshiva University High School. So, what you know, English literature? What do you teach in high school kids? 
So the first eight was there's a story called A Man Without a Country. Have you heard it? It was about some American citizen. I have to look it up, Google it. It's an American citizen who got very frustrated. I don't know what, I, I can't remember the text. At one point, he uttered public question. I don't want to have anything to do with this country anymore. This country is horrible. And the Imamish expelled him after the But the whole story for a night. A man without a country. Of not having a but just in case that the homeless became subject, like a cat. Homeless, it's a shame, Tarya. You don't say a person without food, a person without clothes. A homeless man. Also, but I still struggling with always that boy. That there's a hishtalshalus from divinity, of God himself is mishtalshal down to divinity. Or we say it's just aspects of how we relate to yeah, it's it's pchinus, how we relate, yeah, how we relate. Because otherwise we always have the animals and the sroth and Yeah. It's really the concept yeah. of the relationship and how... Hashem is one, mamale, soivev, atzmos, it's all one. But it's how we relate, the pchin is what's It's different, it's different aspects of the divine light that are manifested in our experience and allow the world to operate on different levels and different layers of consciousness. Yeah. That's really, when we speak about levels, that's what we're talking about. It's not, you know, there's three pieces in him. He'll look in the mirror, okay, this is Mamali, it's all one, it's indivisible. But it means in his interaction with the world, yeah. Let's put it this way. If a person is in a, is in a state of Mamali, just to give you, if you pour water into a red cup, the water looks red. A green cup, it looks green. It looks the, the water is the same, right? But my, my, uh, my retina <laughs> is experiencing a different color. Now, the physics of it are also fascinating, but the mushal is not a bad mushal because from the experience of Mamali Kalalman, if somebody describes God, he'll describe him as Mamali. From the experience of Saiviv, I'll describe him as Saiviv. And that's a genuine experience. And God allowed for godliness to be manifested and experienced this way. You understand what I'm saying? That's what creation is. That's what creation really is. Creation is allowing for the universe to experience itself and its creator in so many different ways. And we spoke yesterday about Arachampin. Yeah. Arachampin, yeah. Is that in contradistinction, for example, to Zerampin? Yeah. Zerampin is Mamale. That's the Midas. Yeah, the six Midas, which is all part of Mamale. That's what he says. The spheres themselves are structures. They're Caleb. Arachampin is the long face. It's basically, and that's the point, Arach Ampen is the long face. Air Ampen is the small face. So this becomes the interface. You know, sometimes you look at yourself in those mirrors and they, uh, they stretch you or they diminish you. You have the whole face there, but it's in miniature form. So, so Arach Ampen is manifested as Air Ampen in miniature form. Yeah. Yeah. Zair Ampen, yeah. The small face versus the large face. Arachampin, Zeirampin, yeah. Yeah,
Uh, Dr. Michelle, when people come to you, nutrition, you have to tell them it's mamala kalal. Sometimes I take it too. Sometimes the ones who are holy, I say. The study of food, in other words, is a, is a very deep... The study of foods and its properties are, are really studies of, of... are metaphors, illustrations of the diversity of divine energy. Malaha aretz kinyanecha. There because they ate according to this real system of the body and that means you eat when you're hungry you don't eat when you're not hungry you don't eat to distract yourself from stress and pain and, and you're tired and you're overwhelmed. But then you, you're, you're abusing yourself and you're abusing the food. The food is really a source of energy to give vitality. It's, it's the gas of the engine. And you use it when you need it to fill up. And when you squander it, you're both abusing the body and the food too. Yeah, we've seen when, when we do cleanses. In halacha, it says you bench till digestion. How do you know when you digest it? So the cloud that Chazal gave is when you become hungry again. Yeah. So in the halacha, they get into calculations when that is exactly the time. But the original definition of ikul, of digestion, is that you shouldn't be, you're not hungry. You're not hungry. Once you're hungry, once you're feeling hunger pangs, that means there was full digestion. So that definition is a very important definition. A lot of people don't experience hunger. They don't know. Because the prosperity of America is one that a lot of people don't have to ever experience it. Which is a major blessing, but it could be a challenge in terms of uh, conscious awareness. They don't know what hunger is. Because they're already before, they're already eating. Friends that did 40-day juice fest, they had Come out on their face, toxins were coming out. And it all got healed, yeah? Oh, yeah. It was toxins coming out. They need a detox. They need a detox. And these were pretty clean people to begin with. They need a detox, yeah. Ah? Uh-huh. No, he's speaking about the juicing, the juicers. That's what it's healthy. To a certain degree, huh? It's healthy to fast. Yeah, yeah. No, the body is a very serious vessel. It's a, it's the most magical vessel in our in our world. <laughs> you have to treat it with uh, you have to treat it with their uh, carrots. When when there's not food being put in for a period of time, then the body starts consuming its tissues. Tatavasta, They ate what they needed to eat. It wasn't that they neglected their body. They actually. They respected their body. Thank you. Some people fasted from Shabbos to Shabbos. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, yeah. And, and barely ate this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a derech of some G'dayli Yisrael to Dafka get into Tainius and Sigufim. But that's a different derech. It wasn't the derech of Mosham. To, to Daf, they wanted Dafka fast. Now it was Bahab. You know, now is the time of Bahab, so a lot of people fast now, after Pesach. You take the Rambu, yeah? Very little, very little. But he looked good, he looked healthy. 
It was a pella how little he ate, yeah. Not slept also very. It's a pella. <laughs> Different source, yeah. Every food has its own heartiness, its own. I always enjoy conversations with real scientists when I ask them. Because the truth is that they can theorize about animal evolved and stuff like that, from mouse to bear or But how fruitable? They have theories, but it's just very short. As I told somebody, it's not just natural selection, you say, the banana evolved from a grape, which, okay. It's... Not a grape evolved at all. Somehow this blind process of evolution that wasn't guided or intentional or had no intelligence behind it knew exactly what our bodies will need not just in terms of life, but in terms of pleasure. <laughs> and the exact balance, right? The bitterness and the sweetness and the tartiness <laughs> of the peach and the apple and the orange and the grape and the watermelon. Like it, it all knew all this and exactly what it will need to live. And not just us. Every single animal, every mammal, <laughs> every rodent, every insect, all part of the food chain. That's a bizarre genius that's beyond intelligence. <laughs> and it was all blind. It's not just it evolved. It evolved, things happened. It evolved in a way that it had in its cheshbin everything else on the planet. <laughs> now interfaces like lattes developed. Ah. So Mela, they tie them, the natural selection, the organism saw what works, and after millions of years, it developed those skills or limbs or shapes. But that's for itself. Here, developing for you. it's for me. It's completely selfless. So this blind force of evolution is also selfless and altruistic. <laughs> and he even shows me when he's ripe. When he becomes ripe, he changes colors. He's green a whole time, and suddenly he's ripe. He announces, hey, I'm ripe, come take me. So therefore, I, I don't know <laughs> For me, it's not very, uh, it's not very convincing. Very intelligent. I don't see the seichel in it. Well, I think Rabbi Sachs deal with that issue. You said that one time that he, uh, he had a, he had a penis in a coach, which informed that last statement that you made that, that it's not blind in some sense. When you learn Yiddishkeit, when you learn Yiddishkeit, you're learning good science. This is good science. <laughs> you're not just learning religion. You're not learning religion. No, you're learning good science. I understand. Used to be science and philosophy were, were one. Yeah. Used to be two. But I'm asking, I'm asking specifically since you brought you open the door to it. If you don't want to go there because we're going to learn Gemara. Was try, when you made the remark about Rabbi Sachs that because he had a certain mahalik. Yeah. I'm just trying to understand what you meant by that. Because I don't remember. Steer between being thinking that evolution is yeah. correct. Yeah. What you just said that evolution is not blind. Yeah. Blind. I think you said. Blind. I'm talking about the evolution, the evolutionary yeah. theories yeah. that believe in completely no uh, guided. Uh, the altruistic, in, in, in the 
Yep, yeah, it's, it's amazing how the, 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 the botanic, just the botanic world. I'm not talking about anything else. How did he answer that? How did he answer that? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, forgive me. I just no problem. No, they have they have theories. They're laughable. No, no, it's theories specifically because he became the, the, the chief rabbi over there. Yeah, yeah. No, it was actually a little while ago. I came home late at night from some event, and I was starving. And there was, I think, uh, an apple on the on the counter, a pear, some fruit. And I made a brach, and I took a bite into it. It was like two in the morning, mm-hmm. and I had this epiphany: How did this fruit know? <laughs> how how did it figure out to produce such a type of taste? That is wonderful. It was delicious. It was tasty. It was nutritious. And even its color was beautiful. It was appealing. Right. And it was, and that's just for me in the middle of the night. And, and my body, and it worked perfectly with my body. My body didn't say, get out of here. What are you, what are you giving me toxins? It was like this perfect match. So Mela, there's one fruit like that. A mistake. But you have hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of plants with herbs and vegetables and fruits. <laughs> and each one has its own unique nutrients that fits everybody, whether it's a human or an animal <laughs> or an ant or a different rodent or insect. I mean, it's, and everyone finds its place and its thing. And it was not a natural selection that they were fighting for this that. Right. So you want to say for their survival, they did extreme things. I got it. But it's not for their survival. The peach doesn't gain anything from it. And then it, it, it and it comes packaged. <laughs> it comes packaged with a beautiful color. What's that for? Who needs the color? They say that flowers developed as flowers because they had to attract the bees. And bees love the colors and the aroma. So that way the bees will pollinate the flowers. So the flowers will be able to reproduce. So it's basically like a woman dressing up to attract, you know, to attract attention. So that's for its self-preservation. It developed all of these things to in order to attract the bees. So even to assume that that was completely blind and it just happens, I don't know how intelligent that is. Yeah, but that's for its own self-preservation. But here you have a whole world that developed for others. Knowing exactly how our brains work, what our bodies need. How did they know? How did the, tr- Mela, the trees are brilliant about themselves. How do they know about me? I think I'm saying rational things, no? You're a scientist. Huh? And then somebody who says that there's a source behind it, there's, there's a, there's a presence, there's a love there. There's a, there's a core, what we call God, is, is considered unintelligent. I'm a sugar indoctrinated, fundamentalist, stupid. Like if you have real science, you don't need it. I think if you have real science, you see it. Yeah, the scientists <laughs> would root for truth. They would see that there is a more uh, possibilities of intelligent design than none. Yeah. At least, even if somebody can't come to the conclusion and say what there is, but where's the humility? With such astounding depth, you would expect humility. Humility means, you know what? Yeah, maybe there's much that we don't know. Maybe there's a mysterious force that we don't know. Yeah. I may be not be comfortable with it. But that, I, that I would respect. A humility. Well, the truth is that most people eat this stuff. They say it's just it's the way it is. 
but 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 the basis of science. But you're right. But the basis of science is that you shouldn't say it's the way it is. You should ask, why is this the way it is? That's what we expect from a science. That's the basis of science. You don't say this is the way it is. You want to know why it's the way it is. What are the cause? Causes. That's what a scientist does. The point is that it's not capable of replication. It's not subject to a blind test that 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 gets that same result. And and I think that's the fact. I know a scientist. One uh, my daughter was a biomechanical, uh, biomedical engineer, and mathematics is is the is the ultimate in science because it's a language that's pure. Right. Purism. Right. And there's something impure. I think you have. I think you. Right. 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 The Gemara says in Meseches Yuma, you can't compare somebody who sees the food, somebody who doesn't see the food. If it's pitch dark and you're eating, it's completely not the same experience. That's why the Chazal instituted the mitzvah of Shabbos candles. Because Friday night everybody would have a meal, and it would go into the dark, and it would go into the night, and it was pitch dark. Before Thomas Edison, there's no, there's no lights. So they instituted Shabbos candles, because it's a whole different Oynik Shabbos when you... When you're sitting in light and you see the food, you also see, see the people. It's a whole different experience. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was once in the country in the Catskills, and right before Shabbos, my wife lit the candles, My and uh, there was a huge blackout. So here, okay, you know, in, in cities more, especially in Brooklyn, even when it's uh, there's always a lantern here and a light here. It's it's more uh, you don't have real darkness, but over there in the Catskills, it was surrounded by forest, and when it was dark, it was dark. <laughs> there was no tower, there was no building, there was no truck, there was no car. It was really dark. It was pitch dark. And the candles were burning, and we sat down to make Kiddush. So I told my children, finally, we can appreciate why the Chazal made a mitzvah de Rabbonin to light Shabbos candles. Now we could finally feel it. You know, every Shabbos, it's an extra light, but it's not, it's not essential. But tonight, you could see the fish, you could see the wine, and it was a very, uh, it was a very good educational experience, you know. There's nothing like, uh, Hands-on experience of, of of an idea of a concept. Have lights. Do a candle. You don't need it. Here. Right. Well, there's always discussion if you can use a flashlight. Right. Could use a flashlight for the for the holes and crevices. Why not a flashlight? There are those who argue you could use a flashlight. It's not what we do because the Chazal said you should use a candle, and they learn it out from Sukkim. But uh, but it's a discussion. But in the old days, they didn't have lights. Yeah, you also have to understand, they had very small homes. Most people had very small homes. If you had two bedrooms, you were already, you were pretty rich. People don't realize, even in the 1800s, I don't know if you went to a home that they lived in the 1800s, you had one bed for 10 people. You know that, yeah? You had one bed, literally for 10 people. Brooklyn. (laughs) Soviet Union. Rich, because she had her own bedroom. 
Her own house is rich, yeah. 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 Unbelievable, right? Yeah. It's crazy. They had one bed and ten people, and uh, they wouldn't sleep in in uh, in the length. You couldn't have ten. They would sleep uh, in the width across the bed. And uh, so I once asked somebody who was uh, he gave me a tour. And he said they liked it that way because it was so cold outside. When you had ten bodies smashed against each other like sardines, it was essential. It, 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 it maintained, it generated so much heat. It was a machaya. They loved it that way. Whatever, it's hard for us to understand. <laughs> uh, we live in a, in a different milieu. Everybody wants their own bedroom today. <laughs> today, if you share a bedroom with your sibling, is already... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, walk-in closets, walk-in closets. <laughs> one for the husband, one for the wife. <laughs> the walk-in closet is bigger than the whole house used to be. The walk-in closet is bigger than the whole house used to be. So when you send Bdikas Chometz, also there was no surplus of food. No such a thing, you have frozen pizza in your f- freezer, and you have a pantry with 10 bottles of vodka, and you have cake, and you have cookies, Yeah, and you have downstairs another freezer, Right? With, with more frozen pizza and more cakes and more knishes. The surplus that we, Baruch Hashem, that we have, they didn't even have. You had bread for a day, it was already, uh, <laughs> you were already above average. I'm saying people don't understand. So with famine and hunger, hunger is not part of our vocabulary, let's face it. Yeah. The last few years, more people have died from obesity than from hunger never existed in the history of the world. More people should die from obesity. I'm talking in civilized countries. I'm not talking about where there's, uh, unfortunately, a lack of food. But in places where there's, where there's food, much more deaths from obesity. And I think relative in the whole world, it's that way. So that's an unbelievable phenomenon. It's an unbelievable phenomenon. Huh? Yeah. More deaths from obesity than from famine. Who ever heard of such a thing? You know how many people died from famine over the centuries? A famine would come and wipe out community. And it wasn't hard if there was no rain one season, right? If a thief came and stole the crop, if there was a locust, if one family's field was ruined, a scorch, whatever. And then the families, they were there. what are they supposed to do now? There was no shul to go to. There was no... Uh, when we learn in Gemara about all the institutions of Tztaka and Tamchui, right? They used to give people 14 meals for a week, or they would give them meals themselves. People don't understand the revolution of it. You know, today with food stamps, and even somebody who's very, very poor, you have some access to food, yeah? We don't understand that in the times of the Gemara and Chazal, when they instituted these things for poor people, it was revolutionary. That basically nobody would starve. Yeah, but yeah, I'm saying it's 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 hard for people to appreciate what the, what it meant, what it meant. What does it mean to go with your children for three days without food? This was a common thing. It wasn't. A, it was unfortunately a very common thing. Crap would go. They wouldn't go to something. Go, they need the families themselves. Every family had it. You can give out. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like you went to a shul and you had your kiddush in the morning and you had soup. It, it, it didn't. Uh, that was the Chiddush of the Tztaka, Tamchoi, Gaboy Tztaka. I'm saying it wasn't, 
we take it for granted because even when we give tzedakah, most of the people, Baruch Hashem, they're not mummers starving. They yeah, without tzedakah, they couldn't even survive. No, you would die. <laughs> you would push and die. <laughs> you know what happened in the Ukraine? In, 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 uh, what Stalin did in the Ukraine? Because they didn't want to give him all the, all the crop? I have a married daughter who lives in Edmonton, Canada. And I was there for Sukkot. There was a nurse who had worked for the Eskimos in Northern Canada. She said that they have a tradition. Every family picks one child and they fatten up that child as much as they can. It becomes a real family. That child has a chance of surviving. <laughs> wow. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.